Hey, welcome to Fountain City Church's weekly sermon. Our mission is to multiply families of missional disciples, both locally and globally. And we pray that this sermon impacts you to do just that. If you live in the Chattahoochee Valley area, come and worship with us on a Sunday. Thanks. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 6. Uh, We began a series last week to focus on the question of what it means to be holy and consecrated to the Lord. And last week we heard God's promise and his command that we are to be holy as he is holy. To wash our hands, to purify our hearts as we come near to him. And we learned that he has made a way for us to be clean and holy through the finished work of Jesus. You and I are called to be holy It's kind of a word that we attach to a different generation or to different cultures often. But this is precisely what it is that God is calling us to. And we can't do that apart from growing in intimacy and knowledge of Jesus. And so this week, we actually want to begin looking at the two emerging identities of a consecrated people. What are the things that God calls us into? What are the duties and responsibilities of a people whom he calls holy? Revelation chapter 5 Verse 6, let's read together. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Now to 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. A kingdom and priests, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. You know, both Peter and John, thinking about what it means for us to be holy people, they both look back and they choose the identities that were spoken over the nation of Israel to now identify all those who belong to Jesus. Now, this is really important for us. And if you're new to the scriptures, we have to understand that we have this interwoven relationship with Uh, with historical Israel in the way that God has used them to bring about his covenants and his promises. But in this moment, as we are leaning in, there are Gentiles and Jews coming to faith in Christ. And as they talk about being a holy and consecrated people, these new identities that emerge are the same things that were spoken about Israel in the past. Exodus chapter 19 verse 5 says it like this, Now if you obey me fully, God speaking to the Israelites... And keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. 
And the, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now look, they're saying to us, in the same way that Israel was once this singular embodiment of God's worship and the place where he ruled on the earth, now all of us who are in Christ are the expression of God's kingdom authority and we are his people who are called to represent him. You see that? There's this, there's this shift when we come into Christ that we don't just take on a new identity as sons and daughters, but we are also given a brand new commission and responsibility. An identity that is formed around the work of God in the earth. You're a kingdom and you are priests. See, when God sets us apart, it kind of begs a question, doesn't it? Sets us apart for what? Not just sets me apart from but sets me apart for. You set me apart from the world, from the culture, from sin. But what do you set me apart for? Right? Like, like in the Old Testament, when God consecrated the utensils of the tabernacle and the temple, they were washed with oil or blood and water. They went through an entire ritual. But it was not so that they could just sit up on a shelf. Right? It was so that they could be used in the worship of God and to bring about his holiness on the earth. That they were set apart for something. And in the same way, I want you to hear me say this morning that your life is not meant to be cleansed and made holy just so that you can sit up on the shelf and wait for heaven one day. But you have been purified and consecrated to do something. There's responsibility. There's power. There's duty in this. See, we are a royal priesthood. The priests in the Old Testament were the representatives of the people before God and God before the people. They stood as the mediators between heaven and earth, calling out for God's will to come and representing the sinfulness of broken humanity before a holy God. They were called to be holy so that they could come before him and make sacrifice for the people. And God says, you are a royal priest. You're a royal priest. That is loaded language. Because you know yourself. <laughs> How many of you feel like royal priests? You're like, I'm just barely making it. <laughs> royal priest. That's the title he speaks over you. Daniel's going to talk more about this next week. So we are a royal priesthood. But we are also a holy nation. A kingdom. We're a kingdom. Notice he doesn't just say that we're citizens who live in a kingdom in that Revelation passage. He doesn't say you are citizens of this new kingdom. He says you are a kingdom. You are a kingdom. And this is where I want to spend my time today. That word for kingdom is the Greek word basileia. It means royal power, kingship, the ability to rule and to reign. So when he says that you're a kingdom, he is saying you are the place where he rules. You're the dominion of his rule. You are the domain where God's will comes to pass. Where heaven comes to earth. Do you see it? In the same way that God did this in Israel through a people, in the same way that he did it in the tabernacle, in the temple, through his presence, which stayed in a location, in the same way that the Holy Spirit came in the person of Jesus, the Son of God, heaven on earth, now he puts his Holy Spirit into you and me so that we also become the place where heaven meets earth, where God's perfect will comes to pass. Now, this is a radically different idea 
than just get saved and hold on tight until one day. Do you see the difference? Truly, do we see it? It's a very different thought. Young people, it's a very different thought than I'm going to say the right things on Sunday or I'm going to do my best to just stay out of trouble. Are you with me? Like staying out of trouble is not called Christianity. Right? He calls us to a different kind of trouble. Staying out of trouble is not the thing. He's redeeming us and making us a brand new people who are able to be his kingdom on the earth. Right? And, and this is the image. This is the thing that the scriptures are pointing to. That word again just means kingship or dominion or rule. So the kingdom of God is one of the main things that Jesus talks about. If you look through the passages of scripture, that word occurs just in the New Testament 304 times in 286 verses. So Jesus is, is gushing about the kingdom of God. In fact, the beginning and the ending of his ministry are bookended with this topic. After Jesus returned from the testing of the wilderness, Matthew 4, 17, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we see that after his resurrection and before he had ascended to the right hand of the Father, Jesus has one thing on his mind. Verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the the kingdom of God. This is the content. This is the substance that Jesus is ruminating on and teaching on and desiring to get into us more than anything in his time on the earth. Now, I don't know how you envision this, but I imagine people who live inside of an ancient kingdom, right, with gates and walls and bridges and moats, that when Jesus uses this language, like they just start looking around, right? He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Can you imagine? And people who live in kingdoms like that are looking around going, where? Where? You say the kingdom of God is at hand. Where is it? We thought it was the city descending from the sky, right? Like even the language in Revelation is of this perfect box, this cube. And that this somehow is the new Jerusalem, the city of God descending to be with people. They're envisioning something physical and so they can't quite grasp what it is that Jesus is saying. See, what they couldn't see is that Jesus himself is the kingdom. Are you with me? I want you to chew on that for a moment. When Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near to you, he can say that because he has come near to them. He is the place where the influence, the domain of God's rule has come to the earth. And wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. You hear me? He is the perfect overlap of heaven and earth. That's where God's rule comes through his spirit. So everywhere that Jesus went, the kingdom of God went. That's why Jesus can heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons wherever he is. He doesn't have to be in Jerusalem. He doesn't have to be at church on a Sunday morning for it to happen. He doesn't have to be in a specific place of worship. Everywhere he goes, what is possible for God is possible with him. And it is possible with you. Now, why? He's not limited to buildings. 
The kingdom of God isn't limited to walls and gates and bridges and borders and land and moats. It is a kingdom without walls because it is spirit. He is spirit. But hear me, while God is limitless, while his spirit is active in places where there are no believers, hear me, he chooses you and I and his people as his domain. And since the king lives in you, guess what? You are part of this living, breathing, moving kingdom where God rules and reigns. That changes the dimension of how I see my life, doesn't it? Because if that's where God rules and reigns in you, then you recognize two things all of a sudden. That the content of my character and the way I live my life suddenly becomes vastly important for a whole different reason. It's not just that that I need to do it because I need to do better, right? Like the shame thing. It's not that. It's that God has actually called you and set you apart to something that is so much greater. But you also begin to feel the responsibility that where you go and what you do and with whom you do it has the capacity and even the promise that God's presence and his power are going to manifest in that space because he is in you. If you will obey him and live aware to that. Are you with me? Now, I'm, I'm, I want to be slow and steady because this can preach loud and hard. I want us to get this. We got to get this. Because it is very easy for us to isolate off these places where we're encountering the Lord. And miss out on the fact that he wants your whole life, not a piece of it. He wants all your relationships, all of your heart, all of your mind, all your dreams. He wants all of it. And this is exactly what God is bringing us into. See, in the same way that Jesus brought the authority and the power and love of God into every space that he entered, you and I are meant to carry his kingdom everywhere we go. Right? Restaurant and gas station right after the service today. Are you just pumping gas? No. You're you're a little hyperlinked to the kingdom of God. You go to the restaurant and the server's terrible. You with me? She drops a tray on you. All the stuff. Like the worst, worst server ever. (laughs) Are you just there to enjoy a meal and to clean your clothes off and to get frustrated? No. No, you're a hyperlink to the kingdom. You have the capacity in the good moments, the bad moments, the indifferent moments to see God's kingdom, his dominion and rule on the earth come to pass. And he chooses you. The Bible term for this is apostle or sent one. It's exactly what he attaches to this. Now, we're not a culture that says, like, you'll never hear. If you hear me say, I'm Apostle Grant Collins, fire me, fire me. Whoever is in charge, fire me. Get rid of me. Not cool, okay? Not cool. Um, So we're not going after any titles, but I do want us to understand the function, the duty attached to this. You're an apostle. You're a sent one. Now, that is a government term. It's a military term. Apostle is not just a Bible term. It's not just a spiritual term. It's military and it's government. Um, It's a person who is sent on assignment ahead of a conquering king uh, into already conquered territory, right? And so you can imagine like um, ancient Rome, 
when Claudius would go in and he would conquer territories, then he would send emissaries who were apostles. They would go into the territory with different languages, customs, and traditions, and he would teach them what is the culture and the language and the customs of Rome. Why? Because the king is coming. And when the king comes, and this territory represents him, he wants to be comfortable, and this has got to fit his culture, not yours. And so this idea of an apostle is someone who goes in to teach people how to change culture and society and even their own lives to prepare the way of the Lord. You see it? This is what John the Baptist did. He went ahead and he prepared the way of the Lord in a place that was resistant and, con- and contradictory to the Lord. This is what you and I are called to do. And this is precisely what Jesus did. Hebrews 3.1 tells us to fix our thoughts on Jesus, who we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Look at those two terms. Sound familiar? A kingdom and priests. He's putting on us the very mantle that he walked in. He's calling us into the very thing that was in his job description. Apostles and priests. He came to declare the kingdom had come, and then he showed us how to live in it. And we're called to do the same. To say it and to model it. Now this is a radical shift in the way that we think, right? If we think that we aren't just consecrated and holy to go to church more, like we're not just consecrated for better services or devotion times in the morning with your cup of tea or coffee or whatever, um, or stirring a fast, water, your cup of water. The goal of your faith isn't just to load your schedule with church things. And be around believers every hour of the day. Hear me. If you're a new believer and that's your experience, it's like, i got to fill up every night with another small group. Danger. Danger. Like, hear me. Light among light is useless. Salt among salt is useless. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Sprinkle that stuff on some darkness. Go into the places where the light is meant to bring about change. It changes everything. It changes everything. So we're not just set apart and holy to just do church stuff. And hear me, it is not for all of us to become pastors and global church planters. Are you with me? God has set all of us apart to himself to unveil his holiness and his goodness in the world around us. Through what we do. Through what we do. In our unique callings, in our unique vocations, in your family, as you. God doesn't call us so that everyone will become like a vocational minister. I can promise you, you'll get a lot more done than us. Our job is to help equip and sharpen and empower the local body so that the works that have been given for you in advance of creation, those things can be done through your life. So we all find our part in the body and we begin to move out. God is looking for partners. He's looking for people who understand what he is calling them into, what he is calling them out of this room to do in the earth. You know, I was talking to Daniel a couple of days ago, and he was reflecting on that imagery that we used last week, that we can't come close to a holy God without either being transformed or consumed, right? Like it's holy fire. I can't hold on to my sin and all my junk and come up to the holy God and say, like, can I, can I come in too? Like, you don't want to do that, clinging to all this. It's like trying to swim holding center blocks. Like, it's impossible. I will either be changed 
or I will be consumed. And in the same way, God has called us to be holy. And when we're in relationships and in proximity to others, it brings those people into a confrontation with the love and the holiness of God. Do you feel that? Being a holy nation, as Peter says, or being the kingdom means that you and I have a responsibility. Matthew 28, 18, this is exactly what he's talking about. He calls us to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations. This is our responsibility. Now, here's the reality. For, for many of us, for the vast majority of us, and this is the way it ought to be, when we hear this thought, we actually think about pastors and missionaries, and then we remove ourselves from the equation. Right? All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. So go make disciples of all nations. And you go, checked out. Because I am uh, an engineer in Columbus, Georgia. Because I'm a mechanic. I spend all my days, right, Miguel? I spend all my days fixing cars. What does fixing cars in the shop in Columbus have to do with the nations? Good question. What, what, what does it mean to work in counseling, Jasmine, and to, like, how does that, how does that thing change and form to somehow adapt to this Matthew 28, 18 call to go into all the world and make disciples? Good question. And one of the risks that we run that I just want to be very clear about this morning, uh, the, the risk we run in training church planters and in mul- multiplying church movements um, is that we all need to see ourselves as part of this great commission and not just a few, right? Like we're, we're sending Cami and Christina out next year, but please don't hear in that that the only people doing this thing are the ones who are going out over there. You are called to do it here. You're called to express the kingdom of God here. God has put his spirit in you. Think about that. He put his, he put his dwelling place in you. He put his kingdom in you. And he expects that you're going to exercise this thing as a responsibility. See, the language there in that text is not just um, go, but as you go, make disciples. As you are going, Lindy, as you go to schools, as you work with teachers, as you work with administrators, Nacy, as you're working with students in schools, every single week, pouring into them, learning, teaching them about the Lord, ministering to your family, as you go into those spaces, Right? Peyton, as you're raising Piper, changing dirty diapers up in the middle of the night, Hannah, as you're taking care of the boys and raising this little girl, it's a girl, right? It's a boy. We just make boys in the Hudson crew. Okay, I got it. As you do that, there are a lot of boys in your family. Okay, I just, there's a family line. Um, as you do that, what does it mean to make disciples? Are you with me? If the line doesn't correlate to my actual life and I have to become this other thing in order to get there, this vocational other thing, then perhaps we're missing something. See, Jesus' command isn't isolated to people in vocational ministry. It's for everybody. And that is thrilling and inconvenient, particularly if you want the kind of faith where you can just come and contribute without the challenge of changing and forming your life around this new commission. See, you had a great commission before Jesus, right? It was to do whatever brought you pleasure, money, and comfort. That is your commission. Live for yourself. 
Make decisions that please you. Purchase all you can because it's all you got before eternity. Sow your life into making yourself feel good. And then Jesus comes and he says, I've got a new commission for you. Who's king? Your king or my king? All authority has been given to me. So I tell you as king, go and make disciples. Are you with me? What does it look like to be a part of the living, breathing, moving kingdom of God in Columbus and Phoenix City and Smith Station and Midland and Pine Mountain? What does it look like? What, what does it look like? What does it mean that we have people in here who are hairstylists and electricians and engineers? What does it look like to be the kingdom of God as an engineer and an electrician? What's it look like, Caleb? Josh, what does it look like to be the kingdom of God as a, as a person who works in finance? What does it look like as a producer or teacher or banker or as a minister? How do we leverage all that we have and are for the sake of the kingdom of God to take shape here so that people can look up and find precisely what the Pharisees found in Jesus? Precisely what the poor found in Jesus, the deaf and the blind found in Jesus. The kingdom of God had come. See, every vocation is sacred. And if we understand uh, the honor and the responsibility of being carriers of this kingdom, then we will see our workplaces and our friendships differently. All of it differently. My hope today is that I so mess up your, your version, that the scriptures so mess up your version that you can't help but to leave here and to feel the honor and the responsibility the invitation and the duty that comes with this. See, the purpose of the kingdom of God is to bring the life and the love and the power of the king to this broken world. Guys, when we walk out of the door today, you are going to encounter brokenness. Even good people who are broken. You're going to leave this, and we're kind of in a neighborhood where that is even more so possible. We've got a lot of brokenness in the neighborhood around us. Poverty, we've got a lot of, um, of educational issues. We have a lot of people with learning disabilities in this specific community because wherever poverty is, there's a higher increase of disability and, and those kinds of needs. Did you know that? They go together, exactly. There's racism issues in this area. There's financial crises in this area. There's all kinds of stuff. You're going to be confronted with brokenness as soon as you leave the door. You're going to be confronted with brokenness in this room. Are you with me? And so we have to be ready to respond. And we have to know what it is that we're called to do. So what does that look like in our context? Um, I believe to live consecrated as a kingdom means these two things for us this morning. Number one, that we build our life on the king. If you understand this identity that you are a kingdom, the first thing we've got to keep our eyes and our hearts focused on is building our lives on the king. Friends, you have a choice if you're going to build your life on Christ and his kingdom or if you're going to try to be your own king and build your own kingdom. And those are two completely different ways of living. See, we, we can't be his kingdom and build our own kingdom at the same time. We can't be the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Casey, right? You guys with me? Everybody's real quiet. Okay. Thank you, Casey. Now, look, I, I want to be honest. If you're in vocational ministry, 
Teen Challenge crew, those of you who are in addiction recovery uh, things, all kinds of nonprofits in the room, pastors in the room. This is even trickier because you can trick yourself sometimes into believing you're building his kingdom when you're actually building yours. And the difference is ego. Who is this for? Do I need this to succeed to tell me who I am? Or do I know who I am because he told me? You feel the difference? We, we can grow things and build things and make things something else because we actually have something in our hearts that needs to be healed. That's possible. And, and so I want us to see that. If we aren't building our lives on Jesus and growing in our knowledge of him and keeping in step with the Spirit, how can we do the work of the kingdom? We can't. If I'm not in Christ, I'm not walking with the Spirit, I can't possibly understand that I am the kingdom. Right? If, if, if I'm not leaning in and submitting to the Holy Spirit who's inside of me, I can't possibly bring about His kingdom outside of me. What I do inside is going to manifest outside. If I'm obeying and yielding to the Spirit inside, His kingdom will move outside. Are you with me? Um, that's where hypocrisy takes root and where God invites us to live in purity and holiness. When we are saying one thing out here, but it has no bearing on what's going on in here. We're in a season right now with leaders who have been saying one thing out here, but something different has been going on in here. It's a sobering season. And it's sobering because every single one of us has been in that place before. There's not a one of us who looks at these people and goes, monsters. If we do, I think something else is wrong. Like every single one of us can see the road to becoming something terrible. Because what I have said out here doesn't mirror and reflect the internal nature of my spirit. I have to make sure that I'm yielded. Right? Then we can minister his presence to others because we live in his presence. We can lean into the prophetic word of the Lord because we have heard it from his lips in prayer. We, we can't witness if we do not witness him. I can't tell somebody else if I'm not, if, if my eyes aren't open to him. Are you with me? So we build our lives on the kingdom. Secondly, we put our lamp on its stand. This is the responsibility, the duty. You know, Jesus says a lamp doesn't belong under a basket, but it belongs on its stand so that it gives light to the whole house. Friends, you're meant to shine. Your life is meant to shine brightly in public about Jesus. Not just in private, not just in closed off conversations with friends who you know are believers. God is putting you on display so that light shines. He wants you to shine. And there are these two places where that light shines the most. It's in our relationships and it's in our work. It's in who we're with and what we do. These are the contexts where God's kingdom shows up in your life. So number one is that relationships. I want you to just stop and think about the people who are in your day-to-day, week-to-week life. Just take a moment, try to see their faces. Who are the people that God has put in my path in daily and weekly rhythms? I see them all the time. Might be somebody I really don't like, that they're in my path. Somebody I like a lot. Somebody I kind of like. God brings these people 
into your life as a way for them to experience the kingdom. Think about that. Why? Because God has put his kingdom in you. Now, what a privilege. What a privilege that you're going into a broken world and God sees fit for you to be the answer to someone else's prayer for his intervention. There's someone somewhere right now praying, God, I just pray that you'd send somebody who has some encouragement, somebody who doesn't beat me down, some friend who can stick close to me and help me and encourage me. And then God sends Lindy Dunn, who's introverted and excellent and well-planned, but also deeply convicted about being a good friend. Full of the kingdom, full of the spirit, who has eyes to see people who feel like they're unseen. You see that? He's entrusting people to you. He's entrusting people to me. But secondly, what a responsibility. What a, what a, what a, what a weighty thing that God has given to us, that we are sent ones on assignment. You know, a mailman knows his role. If he shows up at your house and like asks for donuts and some coffee, but he never brings any mail... He's going to get fired. His assignment is to bring the mail. If an ambassador goes to another nation and just kind of talks about whatever she wants, she's like, well, President Putin, I think you should just keep bombing them. You know, like if it's not the line that the president has told her to say, she's going to get fired. She has an assignment. There's a duty and a responsibility to this assignment. You can't just go do whatever you want when you're on assignment. And in the same way, you're an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And we get the honor and the privilege of representing him to people, all of whom God loves. All the people that get on your nerves and drive you crazy and you think are monsters. God loves that person. Jesus died for that person. He shed his blood for that person. And we have the responsibility to love them and show them Jesus. Right? So here's a question. How are you representing the kingdom and the king in your relationships. All those faces that rolled through your head. How are you representing the kingdom and the king in your relationships? Do you see the treasure that God is entrusting to you? Have you gotten your heart for that person that you hate? Have you gotten God's heart for that person? That person that you have contempt for? When they come near, you sneer and you catch it? Have you said, Lord, would you give me your heart for that person? Do we understand what we've been entrusted with? I want you to take a moment and write the, their names down. Like you have faces in your mind right now. Maybe write them in your phone. Seriously, take up your phone. Who is it that God is showing me again and again and again? They enter my space. I'm around them. I spend time with them. Because in a moment, we're going to ask, what is it? That God is calling you to do as his kingdom in their lives. Everybody got a moment? Good. How does the Lord want you to be the kingdom in their lives? Remember, the kingdom is the place where the power and the authority and the love of God come to pass. How can you be that with them? Okay, secondly, in our work, God gives us relationships and he gives us work as these places where the kingdom of God spills in. Now, what does your work have to do with being the kingdom? 
Like a lot of you just hate what you do for a living, right? A lot of you do. <laughs> I've had conversations with you. I know that you do. <laughs> you can play it cool right now, but you hate it. Like, I hate it. I'm just there. Stinks, man. I don't like the people. And one of the things I hear a lot from believers, too, is I'm just around unbelievers all day. I just want to be around believers. Do you remember why we're here? <laughs> Salt, light. <laughs> Please don't section yourself off just to, just to work with Christians. You're going to be equally frustrated just in a completely different way. Right? <laughs> they should know better, and they don't. And we keep having the same conversations. Many of us do not like what we do. And we associate work with what's keeping us with what, from what we're meant for. Can I submit to you that it is possible? I'm not saying that there isn't like um, a gift in vocation and that God can't give birth there. I believe he can. I believe many of you, God is calling you into different vocational spaces for his glory. And in the same measure, hear me, your job and your supreme happiness in your job is not the point. It's not the point. Work isn't a part of the curse. I hear people say that all the time. Like, but God introduces us to himself in his work. In the beginning, God created. He's hustling. Beat one, square one, verse one. And Adam is working long before the curse. Get busy. Toil, uh, you know, till the soil. Do the work. It's good. When we get into eternity, you know what I think? I think we're going to be working. I don't actually think we're just going to be sitting around on fluffy little clouds that look like cotton candy playing harps. I think we're going to be doing stuff, right? Creating and building. Like the Lord is still working there. See, God pronounced everything that he did as good and productive. And God is calling us into this blessing of good and productive. Here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. If you hate your work, perhaps it's um, that you've missed what the real work is. Perhaps it's that you're looking for a spiritual satisfaction in something that isn't meant to fill it. Some people get into ministry because they believe they'll be deeply spiritually satisfied. And then you get into ministry. And you realize this is soul sucking if I don't know who I am in Christ. This is soul sucking. I will die here if I don't know <laughs> like who I am and who he is. And if I'm not spending time in his presence. Can I just say that? And so if you feel like my job stinks and I'm exhausted and I feel like I'm dying in it, get in line. Work's hard, man. <laughs> it's hard. And it's okay that it's like that. But you have to know who you are and what you're called to apart from it. Right? It's possible that we don't know what the real work is. See, God's work is to create and restore and to build culture that looks like heaven. So guess what your real work is? Your real work is to build and restore and to create culture that looks like heaven. Yes. And, and as David Swanson said this week, just hanging out, if it doesn't exist in heaven, then I can assume that God wants to change it here. Got it? If it doesn't exist in heaven, I can assume that God wants to change it here. The part of our work is to bring what it is there here. You're with me? And so when there are distances from what we're seeing and what God says is the reality of his nature and character and kingdom, 
I get to willingly assume God wants to destroy that here and bring about his thing. Right? Now, let me just caution you. And I don't have notes on this. This is dangerous. We're moving into political season. We're moving into election season. Where we believe if we can just tear down what is, then somehow this better thing is going to emerge out of that. Right? That one party's got a better idea than the other. And I'm not saying there aren't some good ideas on both sides. What I'm saying is this. If we put our satisfaction in building human systems to accomplish a heavenly thing, it will never win. It will never win. Are you with me? And so as we get into the season and social media gets hot and some of y'all feel uh, triggered every 12 seconds and need to respond online, cease and desist. Get off social media if you got to. And remember who you are and what you're called to. Remember. Remember, we can't bring heaven to earth by human systems. You can't. That doesn't mean we, we don't have to do things. We have to do things. We are called to do things. There are politicians called by God to do things. But we do not put our trust in human systems. Right? This is the invitation. So maybe your job... Is that I literally have this in my notes. Is that Gap? We got a lot of Gap employees here today. Maybe your job is at Gap or Starbucks or at a law firm or at Village Production or at the hospital for my 94 nurses who go here or at Take the City or at Teen Challenge. Maybe that's where your job is, but your work is to create and to restore and to build culture that looks like heaven. What does that look like through your life? Right? Because when I see what I do as part of God's plan to redeem people and transform culture, I will do it differently. When I see what I do at Maranatha Word Works as part of what God is doing in the earth, I will do it differently. I won't cut corners or slide into bad character. I'll recognize um, the, the, the necessity of quality in my work and my character are really a means to do the real work, and that is to build the kingdom. Everything is about the one thing. Everything is about that one thing. And friends, the world is waiting. Jesus says you are a kingdom and you are priests. People are waiting for the living, breathing kingdom to walk into their lives in salons and restaurants today. And in closing, you know, one of the ways that we do this, like at a cursory level, Matthew 6, 9, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's one thing for us to pray this and to pray, your kingdom come to earth. It's another thing for us to pray, your kingdom come to Wells Drive. Father, let your kingdom come to East Highland. What does it look like for the kingdom of God to come to Smith Station, Alabama? What does it look like for the kingdom of God to come to Dell Drive? What does it look like for the kingdom of God to come to Teen Challenge Southeast? What does it look like for the kingdom of God to come in your school where you work? Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. This week, one of the challenges that I want to give to you is that in your time of prayer that you would begin to walk and to pray, God, your kingdom come here. And then allow God to give you his imagination for what it looks like when his kingdom comes there. And don't be shocked that when you pray, your kingdom come if God doesn't answer by sending you. 
Because indeed, he says, you are a kingdom and you are priests. Would you stand to your feet? Hey, thanks again for watching the message from this weekend. Uh, if the Lord moved on your heart through what you heard, we want to encourage you to reach out. If we can pray for you, come alongside of you, partner with you in your faith, we would love to invite you to join with us. Uh, our email address is info at fountaincity.org. Please reach out if you have any questions or if we can pray with you and partner with what God's doing in your life. Thanks.